welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We are bringing on one of my former teammates in Evan Rankin, and we played together in the Central Hockey League for Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees. Thank you very much. But he went on after that to play over 540 career professional games, had almost 200 goals professionally, almost 400 points, 240 games in the ECHL, over 200 games in the AHL. This was a really fun conversation. He also played college hockey at the University of Notre Dame. So this was a fun one. But before we get over to ranks, and I continue to lose my voice. Let's get on over to the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Levecchio. Vex, what's up today? Western Michigan will always be better than Notre Dame ranks. Hopefully you listen to this and you hear that right now. <laughs> no, it's a hey, great dude. And I'll tell you what, I remember playing against uh, uh, Evan in the USHL when he played for Lincoln and I was in Omaha and he was a younger player than me and very, very good player, very high energy. I would liken him to like Brad Marchand in the NHL. Kind yep. of could score points, could could you know be that agitator. Um, tons of skill, tons of energy. Played the game with. Definitely respected the way he played. Didn't like playing against him, but I respected the way he played. Definitely played to hate college him, right? as well. You yeah, I don't think I don't think I ever played him in the American League or the Coast. I think our, our, we kind of probably flip flopped uh, when, when we were doing that whole thing, but or in Europe, but. Uh, great guy and passionate guy and it's fun to talk hockey with him yeah absolutely it was uh he was a great teammate great teammate a lot of guys that i played with or know that went to notre dame love him as a guy just yeah like high energy like need those guys in the locker room like especially when times aren't going that well like just having that energy is unreal yeah and and you know i remember him finding like a lot of different ways to score like he talked about how he had to and you talked about how good he was in front of the net but like i, I remember in juniors like he was very skilled. Like he scored goals all over the ice. And, uh, you know, I feel like him and I were probably similar players. He, he had more skill than me, I'd say for sure. But, uh, I think we probably played maybe kind of similar roles. Um, but, uh, pretty, pretty cool, you know, career he had. It's fun to see guys like that, that weren't drafted, that have a great career and play hundreds and hundreds of pro games and score that many points and start out at a low level and battle their way up to, you know, one of the best levels in in the U S like, I love these stories. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, that was an awesome conversation talking about like scoring in front of the net. How do you score in front of the net? That's where most of the goals are scored. And he was awesome in front of the net. But the other interesting part of the conversation was uh, he played for John Cooper when John Cooper was a midget hockey coach in Michigan. And so it was really cool to like just rewind one of the top coaches in the world right now, just won the last Stanley cup with the Tampa Bay lightning and just kind of hearing what made him tick uh, as a coach at the midget hockey level, youth hockey all the way to NHL Stanley cup champion. Very cool. Yeah. And, and hearing that how many guys off that team went somewhere too. Like I love hearing those stories where, you know, a coach can have, you know, whether chicken or the egg that all the players go to him because they heard he was a good guy or did he help all those players kind of find their nests <laughs> as we've talked about your name plus nest, tof nests, um, you know, different cool kinds of smoke. <laughs> 
Oh man, so cool. Um, so before we do get over to them, I actually have some news. I got some potential big news, and you know, big news, news, big time, big time. So, um, very, very, just crazy times right now. I am getting in my car with a U-Haul trailer behind because my family and I are moving to Chicago and crazy, crazy stuff. Um, so I haven't lived, so I grew up in Chicago. Um, by the way, my voice is like this number one allergies. Uh, number two, I had like a bunch of friends over earlier today. Um, just people that I haven't seen in forever, a bunch of hockey people. One of my favorite people in the world, Ben Sire, who I coached with at Cornell, Ryan Smart, uh, who's a Cornell alum that lives in the area as well. So we had like, I think it was like seven kids <laughs> just running around and stuff. Um, but they were here cause, cause we're leaving tomorrow. Um, but just crazy, crazy stuff. So, um, Anthony Noreen, who we've had on the podcast, uh, before he's the head coach in Tri-City who Jeff, you train their team from afar. Uh, him and I go way back and we were talking one day and his owner basically got the charter for Chicago Young Americans, which is the team that I grew up playing for. And which coincidentally is the team that my grandfather founded. And so his owner in Tri-City actually took over the charter of that. And we were talking about it throughout the year. And at some point he was like, Hey, would you be interested in coming out and helping us kind of run the show out there? Um, and I was like, I don't know, maybe not really. I mean, M's got a job out here. We got this life out here and everything. Um, but then he starts talking about what they're trying to do. They hired uh, Ryan Ward to be the hockey director who was at Slicks Academy. He's coaching the OHL. He's coached pro hockey, bunch of different stuff. He's talking to me about all this kind of stuff that they're doing. And, you know, you sit there from a hockey standpoint, you sound like that, that sounds pretty cool. But then you think about it from a life standpoint, you know, we got two kids. Uh, Paige just turned four. <laughs> Lucy's one and a half. Um, I don't think I've said this on the podcast yet, but we actually have another kid on the way. So we got one coming in August as well. Um, and my whole, entire family's in Chicago, except for you here in St. Louis. Um, but this is just like a very, very cool thing from a, from a hockey perspective and from a life perspective. I get to go back home. It's been 17 years since I lived at home. And so my wife, my two daughters and I were, were making the trek back to Chicago um, in the morning at 3.45 a.m. So we might have to keep this one short so I can get to bed. But um, I'm very, very excited. Very, very bittersweet because we very much loved our life up here. Um, a lot of great people up here. We're certainly going to miss it. Um, but there's no substitute for family. Um, and so I'm going to be the midget hockey director for CYA, which is turning into the Whitney City Storm. Um, and I'm very excited for it. So very cool stuff. On. Real. What an announcement. Mike drop. I heard a lot of announcements there. One, moving to Chicago. Two, baby in August. Three, I knew all of these, but none of our listeners did, so I'll act <laughs> surprised as well. <laughs> You're a billion times closer. We're going to have so many fun things and do so many fun activities. We're going to have to build a podcasting uh, uh, interview station in your house with bunk beds, more room for activities. <laughs> fun I am excited. I am excited for this, man. So excited. Uh, I know you're excited. You've been excited for a long time. I hope all our podcast listeners are excited. And 
maybe we can do some uh, in-person live podcast interviews here in the future in Chicago and St. Louis. Yeah, man. It's, uh, it just kind of seems like everything's falling into place. You know, those times in life where you just kind of feel like things are falling into place. I, I really feel like this is one of those times, you know, um, we grew up in a family where aside from you guys living in St. Louis, I mean, geez, everybody lives within 20 minutes of each other. Grandparents like, and how I like, I'm very lucky. I consider myself very lucky. I still have all four of my grandparents. I'm 35 years old. Um, one side of my grandparents, they have eight great grandkids. Another side, they have 12. Um, you know, just like it, it's all about family. And uh, so I'm very, very excited to have some help. That'll be nice with the kids, <laughs> but also just to be around family and have my, my daughters grow up around their cousins and learn from their aunts and uncles and grandparents and great grandparents and everything. And um, just very, very cool. And from a hockey standpoint, I'm really excited. I mean, if you haven't listened to our interview with Anthony Noreen yet, go back and listen to that. That was an unbelievable one. It was maybe in the thirties or forties. I can't even remember. Um, Ryan Ward, who's the hockey director. Um, he just took, uh, you know, see why he's had a really tough time in the past, however many years. And he took his team to the quarterfinals of nationals, uh, just this past weekend, um, they lost in a freaking shootout. They do shootouts in the quarterfinals and nationals. They lost in a shootout to Honeybank to go to the semifinals. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a lot of really good people out there. Um, I, I just, I, I, I can't help but smiling as I, as I talk about this. Um, and, and, you know, my wife and I, we've always talked about just how cool it would be to be around family. Um, and we're getting the chance to do that. We'll be very much closer to you, like you said. So we'll be able to do a lot of cool stuff with this podcast and, and other things. So um, very, very excited. Very grateful. Unreal. How cool you're going back to, I mean, it's not going to be CYA next year, but like, you know, it's what CYA was. And, you know, you won a national championship with them too and trying to restore that, that glory. Uh, are they going to be the same colors? Are going to be the same colors as Tri-City? Tri-City. Tri-City, black and purple. White and blue is gone. There you go. Black and purple, baby. Black and purple, (laughs) black and purple. No, that's sick. And like you said, uh, Noreen, absolute beauty. I was super happy to work with him uh, and his team all year long with Tri-City online, being their strength coach too. So obviously all the people you're surrounding yourself with in Chicago, is going to be a a great experience. And I'm stoked to, uh, to see it all unfold for you. I'm happy, bro. Thanks, brother. Thanks, brother. I'm, I'm pumped. So um, let's get over to ranks. Before we do go over to ranks, we have a bunch of people to thank. First person to thank is the listeners. We love you guys so much. And we continue to do this thing. Like it's literally, <laughs> this podcast is going to go out into the air in like two hours. <laughs> we make sure Jeff and I both had really busy weeks, really busy weekends, but we have to get this out here for you guys. Um, we so appreciate all your support. We so appreciate the the messages, the DMS, the emails, uh, the feedback. Um, and so we do this for you guys. We absolutely do this for you guys. I can barely talk right now, but we're still making sure we get this out there for you. Um, for us, we would really appreciate it. If you could shoot us a rating, shoot us a review, wherever you get your podcast that just helps to legitimize us we're trying to get the word out with all of our great guests and all the things we talk about to as many people as we can so thank you thank you thank you so much for all of your support uh with the stuff that we do thank you to gel sticks our title sponsor g-e-l-s-t-x.com go there for your weighted training sticks um 
awesome time to get out uh, in the driveway, get out on the street, use it as your weighted training aid. Jeff actually put out some awesome videos this week of using gel sticks, even in the gym. Um, so those guys are the best. Go out and get your gel sticks coupon code think tank one word to get your discount. When you go to G E L S T X.com Vex, you got train heroic. Thanks train heroic. Uh, the app where all my online training is housed off-season training is starting right now or it's about to start for you guys and if you're looking for you know proven training online that will work you can do it at home in a gym start my off-season prep phase doesn't matter what age you are like this type of training that that you're going to do is for everyone there's body weight variations the first month the first three weeks of the off-season prep it's all uh, body weight and band work so you can be at home even my pro guys they'll do this from home before they even come into the gym because I want them to get away from the gym away from the rink they'll do it on their own some of them like to come in but I have people around the world I had pros in 12 countries use this stuff in the last year um, I am here to answer all your questions dms on the app so if you're looking for online training we want to thank train heroic but check out my online training off-season prep phase two three four throughout the summer uh, that's all you need to do. Just follow that. It's hilariously cheap. My goal is to help everyone who can't afford a trainer or be in person um, or the people who are, you know, their gyms are closed for some stupid reason in their area. Uh, so if you COVID, so you can do them from home or a gym, there's, you know, different ways to do them with weights or bands. So look it up. Train Heroic. If you got questions, DM me. What's up? What's up? Uh, okay. And then we are going to thank icehockeysystems.com as well. And I didn't have a drill for this week, Vex. I had just a little something and I want to get your take on this because it's kind of like a practice plan type of thing. So I noticed, and I think I've talked about this before. So my team this year, I had an 18 U team, uh, fully engaged in battle drills, really fully engaged in battle drills. Um, not so much fully engaged in the skill stuff that we did. You know, it was like a blue collar mentality team, which I absolutely loved. And whenever we did these battle drills, like it was full on hundred percent, let's go. But then when we did our skill drills, it was a little bit foot off the gas pedal. It was like, Oh, this is kind of easy. It's skill drill type stuff. And so one of the things that I did, cause I, towards like the middle, towards the end of the year, I started to notice this a lot. And so I did a battle drill first drill, every practice for the last probably month of the season. And so we did a battle drill because I knew that they were going to bring it. And then right after we did the battle drill, okay, great intensity, 10 out of 10. Let's see that intensity in these next couple drills where we're going to do a lot of passing. We're going to do a lot of skill stuff. We're going to do a lot of shooting. And so I was like, I challenged them to bring that mentality of the battle skill, like of the, not the skill, the battle drill and that passion to the skill stuff. And I thought it worked a lot. So I wanted to get your thought on that. I like it. Did you guys warm up before the battle drill? Did you do any just right into the battle drill? Right they into the battle. Warmed up off the ice. Yeah, they warmed up off the ice. They either lifted beforehand, uh, or did a little bit of a team dynamic warm up beforehand, um, and then right to battle. Boom, let's go. I love that. Uh, when I was uh, when I was coaching the 16s or the 18 something, I told Bears Mike Bear, who's now with Sioux City, uh, really happy for him. He just had a baby. Congrats, Bears! Um, through listening. Woo. Um, hey, woo. great man. Um, every now and then I'd be like, we, I want to start off the practice with just a one-on-one -on -one protection drill. Like, you know, like the simple one, but it's like, a, it's like a battle drill where it's like guys split up one-on-one -on -one all over the ice. And some days it'd be like, okay, like the goal here is puck protection. So the goal is trying puck protect. 
some days it was like one-on-one, but I, I don't want you using your body. I want you to only use your hands. Like I, I really want you to, fuck. but it's still battling like stick work and, you know, trying to, trying to beat the guy and compete. tight turns and yeah, compete. I guess it, is, better, yeah, it doesn't even necessarily be battle. Yeah. Compete. compete. Yeah. Yeah, dude. I love it because immediately the boys are in it or girls, they're into it. They're right into practice. Like there's no yawning. There's no standing in line. It's like, let's go. Heart rate gets jacked up. You got to be paying attention or else you're going to get embarrassed. Um, whether it's battle drills or, or like this stuff. Uh, I love it, man. I absolutely love it. And I'm, you know, you know how I feel about competing. I think the more competing you can do in practice any way possible, it's going to make everyone try harder. And I think that if you do that in the beginning of practice, it hopefully the goal is that your practice stays elevated at that level the whole time. Did you see that? Did you notice that, that like practices were elevated the rest of the practice, they started on the high and stayed there for sure. No, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, uh, I think there's two things that go into it. One is just that, that thing that we're talking about right now, just that battle aspect. But number two, I think the other thing is like, as a coach, you have to know your team and you coach every team differently. And I, I started to recognize as you get to know your team that like, okay, they don't, it's not that they didn't care about the skills. I just don't think they valued it as much as the battle and the compete. It was kind of in our team's DNA and a lot of our players DNA to be like grinder, you know, blue collar type kids, which is, which is awesome. Like I said, but if you want to advance, if you want to become a better hockey player, you got to become more skilled too. So I wanted to see that mindset in the skill stuff. So I was like, all right. And, and I told my assistant coach, Kevin, I was like, Hey, like, let's start a few practices here with that battle mentality. Cause that's what we're good at. And then let's make sure that we see that same type of mentality throughout the rest of our practice and, and talk about it. So like it's the battle, but it's also knowing your team too. I think that's so important for any coach. Love that. I absolutely love that. It makes sense to me. Now I wonder how a team that is opposite minded, that is way more skilled would, would fare with that. You know, they, they just love doing the skill drills and they don't like doing the battle drills. If you flip the script on them, that would be interesting to see. Let me let me ask you this though: Have you ever played for a team like that? No. no. <laughs> like, have you ever played on a hockey team where they didn't no. love doing battle drills? I no. have not. <laughs> no. Is, yeah, I guess I guess those don't. Uh, maybe at the lower levels, uh, uh, lower skill levels, maybe those exist where guys don't. They're more like like house league or something. You know what I mean? Maybe it's more of like recreationally they're playing hockey. I don't know. Yeah, you're right. You're, you're right. You're right. I take that. I mean, there might be like a few people that don't, but for the most I'm part, I, like, I don't think there's a hockey team, boys, girls, men, boy, like, or not, um, boy, men, you know, older, younger. I think everybody loves to compete. Yeah. Um, you're so. right. You're right. Um, anyways, uh, awesome stuff. Let's get over to this awesome conversation with Evan Rankin. Um, again, over 500 pro games, almost 200 goals, almost 400 points, uh, Notre Dame graduate, awesome stories. There's one awesome story too, when he was playing for team USA, I think the U18 worlds, um, where they're playing against team Russia, you guys will really get a kick out of that one. Um, so without further ado, let's head on over to Evan Rankin. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast. He is in Toledo, the beautiful city of Toledo, Ohio. Evan Rankin ranks. What's going on today, my man? 
God's country, Toledo. <laughs> God's country. No, I love it here, man. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm, I'm excited to do this. And uh, so Ranks was a teammate of mine in uh, one of the years we played pro down in uh, the beautiful Central Hockey League in McAllen, Texas for the Rio Grande Valley Killer Bees. But you've had some other stops along the way that uh, that were fun as well. Uh, obviously got to play against Vex too in college a little bit, Notre Dame versus Western Michigan. And we'll get into that. But uh, let's take it way back. You grew up actually actually right outside of Kalamazoo in Portage, Michigan. So talk to us a little bit about how you fell in love with this great game of hockey. Yeah. I mean, I had an older brother that, you know, he's four years older than me, but he chose hockey. Right. So for me, just young gun trying to keep up with my brother, naturally, I was just going to follow him. And uh, that's originally how I at least dove into the game. And it's uh, dude, I think we all have enough stories now looking back that there's no other game that I would have rather played. Like it's, it truly is the best sport in my opinion. And, um, it's just the fast pace of it. It's, you really can't beat it. Playoff hockey environments. It's insane. It's almost like you're talking right now. You guys remember that play, they play it every year, but that commercial where they, uh, after the guys win the Stanley cup and then they go to interview them and they just can't have words. They're just like, I just, <laughs> they don't know what to say. <laughs> That's one of the best commercials ever. So let me ask you this ranks. We'll get right into it because you as a player, um, and we had Matt Fornatero on here just a couple, uh, mm-hmm. a couple episodes ago and kind of similar where you guys are really skilled players, but just pricks, just absolute pricks to play against, like love to mix it up, love to piss off the other team. Do you think a lot of that comes from being four years younger than your brother and just growing up, having to like earn your keep and, and just keep up? <laughs> probably but like here's the thing I didn't have like the same skill level as you know you Tove. I'm a guy that has to go to the front of the net grind take a shot off my shin pad to score a goal but uh you know <laughs> if you grind it out man enough enough of that uh that puck luck will hit you well let's dive into that then too because I, that was actually one of the things I had on here Vax I don't know honestly if I played with another guy who was as good in front of the net as ranks like you put it anywhere near him it's, it's almost like Joe Pavelski like you put it anywhere near him in front of the net and it, the puck's going in and then I got to see it firsthand playing with him um certainly got some guys some assists from uh from being in front of the net there so like for you before we get into a little bit more of your journey, since we're talking about it, how would you describe like playing in front of the net or what are some things that led you to be successful to score so many goals around there? Uh, yeah. I mean, you just think about like that playoff environment, right? Like you have to battle like every single guy that's you're looking across with the 20 guys across the ice, they will do anything. They'll skate through a wall just to win the game. Right. Like, and when you're in front of the net, it's that exact same mentality in my opinion, where, you know, you are fighting to be the first one to that loose rebound. You're trying to fight for that extra inch where you can push off a defense and make yourself available. Um, but I mean, it really is a dog fight and you'll run into some defensemen that you do not want to be next to, you know, Vex, we were sitting there talking a little bit beforehand. You have like Cody Lamples who will just, you know, fight you tooth and nail in front of the net and uh elbow you in the back of the head (laughs) right you know you just got to be ready for whatever and uh, it's kind of funny you look at guys like Holmstrom when I was growing up like he had extra pads behind his shins just to protect his legs because he was he knew he was going to be going to the front of the next uh front of the net but like I didn't take it that far I didn't have you know extra padding to 
to keep myself protected. But I mean, it really is a battle every single time you're there. Was there anything you did like growing up that made you better at it? Were you more of a rebound guy or more of a tip guy or both screening? Like, did you do extra hand eye? Did you practice in the garage? I mean, you know, just your average kid, honestly, like I would do the extra, the mile, uh, you know, just to, you know, make yourself better practicing at home. Um, I was constantly active, you know, you have, I played three different sports. I was playing soccer, baseball, hockey. So you're constantly on the go, but like just for hockey in general, I mean, we were doing every single camp that you possibly could in the summer times, um, you know, and then at the same time, yeah, it does come down to the willingness to want to pay the price. Like if you enjoy the game, you love what you're doing, you're going to do whatever it takes to, to get those loose rebounds. That's so true. I mean, there, there certainly is a skill aspect to being able to score in front of the net and tipping pucks and hand-eye coordination and getting to the right spots at certain times. And, but you're so right. I mean, you have to find a way to have the will to want to take a punishment to score goals. And like, that's, there's a lot of perimeter in, especially the younger levels of hockey nowadays. And I don't know if it's because watching highlights is so much like they're, that's kind of all they're watching is, is the really good highlights and the skill and everything. But when you look at the analytics, you look at the numbers, the numbers will tell you that, Hey, most of the goals are scored right in front of the net. But what those numbers don't tell you is the punishment that you have to take to, to get there. Um, so I, I just, like, I admired that about your game and your willingness just to get to the front of net and, and for all the kids listening, like ranks is a kid who got rewarded for it and ended up playing over 500 professional games because he had a willingness to do something that other people didn't want to do in, in getting to the front of the net and then working on his skills when he got there. So, um, I just think it's such a valuable mindset to have (laughs) so many of the goals are scored right there and you just, you you just got to be willing to take a little bit of physical abuse. Yeah. And, and again, I mean, I have played with some amazing players throughout the years. Like I look back even to the honey bake days, Eric Condra, who had, you know, an amazing 10 year NHL career from Ottawa all the way down to Tampa. And I mean, he's my line mate and John Cooper was actually our coach in Tampa Bay. I feel like he's almost coached every guy that's played professional hockey. Did you play for him? His- did you play for him when he was coaching midget hockey? So, so he coached my midget major hockey team. Um, I want to say 99% of every guy in the team ended up with like a D1 scholarship. And for the probably first time and last time in history, we actually had an undefeated season. We never lost a game in midget AAA hockey uh, out of Michigan. So like you're talking, we're playing against, you know, the Bell Tires, the Little Caesars, CompuWares. And we went an entire season completely undefeated. Um, that's I can't see that happening again. And I give Coop and you know even Cons <laughs> a lot of that credit. I mean, we had Jeff Pro um, played at Brown, uh, Brett Motherwell. Oof, you know, I mean, you played with him, didn't you, Vex in Omaha? Yeah, I played with him for two years in Omaha. Yeah. So I mean, you have Jeff Lerd, our goalie. Lerd, um, you know, so. <laughs> We just, we had one of those teams that you knew going into the game, you're, you're going to win, win some hockey. So, Jeff so Lurk, best goalie ever, best yeah. tournament ever. Love him. He's awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, I, I want to ask you about that year. Like, so, I mean, we have a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are in the youth hockey game right now, whether they're players or coaches or, or even parents. 
And so we get a ton of questions about it. You know, what's the right way to coach in youth hockey, how to be a good parent in youth hockey, all this kind of stuff. Like what allowed you, obviously I'm sure you guys had great players and you have to be a really, really talented group to, to go undefeated throughout an entire season. But what was it about maybe some stuff that John Cooper did that allowed you guys to be so successful and, you know, advance on to the higher levels. And just what about the team kind of led you guys to, I mean, not losing a game. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, we did end up losing, you know, like a a state championship game against Compton or something, but either way, like to go throughout the entire regular season undefeated was crazy. And when you look at Coop as a coach, he gets the individual, right? Like he knows how to bring the best out of every single person. He's not like over the top hard on you, but at the same time, he expects that level of success. Right. And at the same time, he's very good at prepping the team to be aware of a situation that might happen. Um, For instance, we had little code words where if you're in front of the net in the D zone uh, as a, like a low forward or a centerman and um, you know, the pucks in your corner, the D would have their back to you because they're fighting in the corner with the other forwards or whatever. But if you're in front of the net and you have no one around you, you could say whatever code word it was. And they would know with their backs to you that you're wide open and they would just throw it blindly to the front of the net, which sounds crazy as a defense. And I'm going to throw a blind pass behind my back um, and hit whoever's in front of the net. But I mean, everybody was on the exact same page. And uh, I mean, even going into face-offs, right? Like there wasn't a single face-off that we didn't go into where we didn't know what the plan was going to be, whether it worked out for the better or not. Um, we still knew what that expectation was. And, I mean, he would ask guys like, Hey, I need a goal right now. And, you know, sure, sure. As, uh, as it goes, somebody would step up to the plate and we just found ways to win. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. It's, it's, uh, everybody that I've talked to, we had a few guys on here that, that played for Cooper and, and they all kind of say similar stuff where it's just like, he's so good with people. Um, just so good with people and, and we forget that about coaching and it just, uh, if you can find ways to know how kids can tick and what motivates them, it, it makes all the difference in the world. And so like when you were playing for him, what were some of the things that he might've done as a midget with you that you can remember that made you feel good or made you want to play better or run through a brick wall for the team or whatever it may be? Yeah. You just, I mean, you really knew that he cared about you. Like at the end of the day, push came to shove, you knew that he was going to go, you know, he was going to stick his neck out for you um, on and off the ice. And I mean, he was a lawyer at the time, which seems kind of funny that in his part-time he was coaching midget AAA hockey. Um, But I mean, he even got me like out of a speeding ticket or like represented me going to get a speeding (laughs) ticket like out of Detroit. Right. So like my, my first, you know, ever speeding ticket, here's John Cooper going into, you know, Royal Oak or some, corporate (laughs) you know talk to some judge and but again you knew that he had your back regardless of the circumstance and um it was kind of funny because like I won a couple MVPs of tournaments and you know back then with the NCAA rules like if you got a TV or something from the tournament you couldn't keep it because it was like you know against NCAA regulation or whatever to keep any of those awards so like Cooper's like, well, you can't do anything with that TV rank. So it's going to go up in my office, you know? So like <laughs> you just knew that he was going to like play along and have a lot of fun with the game. And, um, you know, I'm sure that that, that TV is still floating around, you know, Oak Park arena. 
That's oh my god, beautiful Cooper, Oak Cooper's Park Arena. Oh, I played oh, yeah. a few games against Honey Bake in that rink. That's awesome. Oh, sorry about the losses. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> oh, oh no, 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 no. <laughs> a few, definitely a few. Uh quite a few. No, that, we had some good teams. We did. But, yeah, that's funny. Uh, I mean, everybody heard Topher Scott coming up though. I mean, I'm sure I knew you before you you'd even met me. So so whoever uh, you know is diving into these podcasts. You got to know that the people that you're following are, they know what they're doing. So, <laughs> so keep, keep, keep following it. Oh jeez, Oh geez. All right. Let's change the subject. Here we go. Um, all right. So you go from playing at honey bake to, to go play in the USHL in Lincoln and Jeff and I on the show all the time, we talk about how the biggest jump for us wasn't even necessarily like juniors to college or college to pro. The biggest jump was from, from midget hockey to, to junior hockey, just a completely different lifestyle, uh, different just way of life and, and different way of doing things. Um, what was that transition like for you and, and going to Lincoln? I mean, Lincoln's one of the top places to play in the USHL sold out barn every game, just an unbelievable experience. What was your experience like there? I mean, so I probably had a different experience than most because I mean, I was coming from honey baked, um, as you know, one of the top point scorers, um, in the entire league at the time. Um, you know, I think I'd 50 goals or something, but either way, besides the point, I kind of had that expectation on myself too, right? Like wherever I was going, I knew that I wanted to win games. I knew that I wanted to eventually play in the NHL. Um, <clears throat> but you know, I just, I kind of wanted to always put myself up at that caliber, um, where no matter what game that we were going into, whenever I stepped on the ice, I always wanted to, or at least I had that desire to want to be the best player on the ice. Um, you know, and even before, right before we went to Lincoln, um, it's, oh my gosh, this is actually one of the best stories in hockey history that no one's ever heard. Um, I was playing for team USA. It was the U18 select festival team, Brett Motherwell, Jeff Pro were on this team. And, um, <laughs> we, uh, I was going to say that I put that expectation, even in those U S tournaments and stuff, like I wanted to be you know, the best player. And at this showcase, you want to be the best player in the world. You have Sidney Crosby who's there. You have Malkin that's there. And the story that I swear is the best. And I don't want to hype it up too much because it really is incredible that this A, that it happened and, and B, that nobody's, if social media was around back then, like this would have gone completely viral. Well, ranks. Um, you've, this you've is a lot of hype. It up. <laughs> I know. Dude, you, this I'm, is I'm a lot of hype, you. though. It better be good now. Yeah, I don't want to hype it up, but it's the greatest thing any human <laughs> ears have ever heard in the history of humans' ears. I, I'm telling you, like this story is incredible because you got to imagine this. Here we are. We're Team USA. We've never won a championship at this tournament in history, right? So we're kind of like this underdog. We don't really have that like showy name at the time, and you know looking back, we did have some, like a stacked roster, you know, Corey Schneider's on that team, Keith Yandel, Chris Mueller, Brett Motherwell. Like we had these guys that were just stellar. And, um, so we're playing against team Russia. Right. And in Europe, like growing up, they must not have had like, um, like the same warm up rules and stuff that we had here in the United States. Cause you know, like they're taking, you know, breakaways at the end of their warmups on a standard, right? Like that's just normal practice to them. And in the United States, we're just like, we know exactly what we're doing. It's breakouts, it's this. So 
So Team Russia, we're playing against them. It's the round robin final. So whoever wins this game is going to end up um, the number one seed in the in the tournament. Russia or whoever, I guess whoever loses this game is going to end up second in the pool. So warm-ups are going around. There's no refs on the ice. And they don't understand what the red line means to the people in the United States, right? So here comes like Malcolm curling into our zone. And we're like, what is this guy doing skating into our, our side of the half ice? You know, like he doesn't belong here. And somebody looked over and, and I don't want to like sewer any names because it's actually hilarious, but he's like, the next time somebody does that from their team, I'm going to two hand him in the back of the legs. Right. And, you know, you got to think we're these, you know, 17 year old kids. We've been hyped up on some M&M coming out of the, the locker room and, we're standing on the ice. Sure enough, here comes another guy buzzes right across the red line. And I'm like wondering now, like, is he going to do it? Sure enough, goes right over there. Full hand, two hands, this guy in the back of the legs, right? Russian guy falls over. Like, what did this guy just slash me in the back of the legs for? And he's like, these guys are crazy, right? Another guy comes around, somebody else, two hands, that guy, right? So now two Russians are like in our zone on the ground, like looking up at us, like... <laughs> <laughs> what is going on right now? And then, you know, warm-ups kind of continue a little bit further. So now we're like in the half moon where a guy comes out, the opposite line passes him the puck. What's the big wheel? I don't know. The, Whatever, either way, yeah. passing him the puck. Here comes another Russian, just buzzes into our zone. Instead of passing his guy the puck, he takes a full-fledged slap shot at this guy, right? The guy sees it coming, like tries to jump out of the way. Like doesn't land on his feet, falls right over. But at the same time, like now he's looking at it and their entire team is now staring at us. Like, why are these guys taking full-fledged slap shots at our guys? And there's no refs that are stepping in to do anything because they're, they're literally not on the ice. So now, now that we know that we're like getting away with this, we're like looking at each other and we're in the half moon. And we're, we all know what we're going to do. Not a single guy looks at the, the net. Poor Corey Schneider is not getting any shots in his warm-up because every single guy on our entire roster took a full-fledged slap shot at the other end. Whether <laughs> it hit somebody or not, nobody cared, but we were taking full. So here's us, you know, Team USA, a bunch of misfits that, you know, have never won this tournament. We're undefeated at this point, but, like, we have no pucks at the rest of our warm-up. Like, we're sitting there, guys are, like, trying to steal pucks when they, uh, you know, bring them back to center ice for their uh, breakouts and stuff. But, you know, so now you got to think of this, like, here's these guys that are quite frankly, they think we're insane. They just, they think we're crazy. They don't understand. There's obviously a language gap. So now, you know, we're going to the first period. These guys are terrified of us. Nobody's, they're not even going near a corner. So like if we dumped and chased or we went in with the puck, like they were completely avoiding the corners, corners. They wouldn't go to the front of the nets. And like, we took advantage early on, then their skill kind of kicked in. So now, now we're like, we're going, you know, neck and neck into overtime. Um, and, and kind of, you know, a, you know, a weird thing that ended up happening, but um, truthfully, the warm-up got us to that point because they really were like, they were just that skill team, truthfully. And if we had not like set some kind of a, you know, crazy presence at the beginning of that game, like there's no chance that, you know, Russia would have taken it easy in the first, you know, period and a half uh, to two periods to get us to that point. But what I was going to say was we ended up going into overtime 
And I was lucky, lucky enough to tip in a, a game-winning goal to win this game. So now we're the first team in the pool. But um, kind of a, a sad coincidence that actually lined up with that goal was Herb Brooks actually ended up dying that exact same day. So here's me scoring a game-winning goal against Team Russia. And then you have Herb Brooks, who's, you know, the miracle on ice, man. Wow. Um, who ended up passing away the same day. It's just kind of crazy how that lined up. But um, it's definitely something that, like, I'm never going to forget. And, you know, you just I look back at those guys, and I'll never forget when that warm-up started and those guys started crossing the line. And, like, <laughs> just the mentality. You could see the shift of everything changing. It's uh, <laughs> hopefully I, I gave the story justice, but like, I don't know if you've ever heard that or I, I guarantee you it's something that like every guy on that Team USA roster, because we ended up winning the entire thing. We ended up beating Canada. We beat Russia again in the final. I think it was like a one nothing game. Um, but but yeah, it was uh, it's pretty epic. And I have the, the jersey up here somewhere in my my basement, but. I'll That's never forget unreal. that every time I see it. That's <laughs> unreal. I love that you guys just all turn around and ripped clappers down the ice. <laughs> you know, I'm not like trying to teach the other kid like, hey, you know. I was going to say, I'm doing that with my, my team next year. We're going to, we're just going to line them up. <laughs> <laughs> they, it was noticeable how scared they were. And we were laughing on our bench like, dude, these guys are terrified of us right now. <laughs> like, and we fed off it. I think we got like an early, like two nothing lead from it. And then it ended up three, three to go to, go to OT. Who was coaching that team? Oh, so we had Andrew Slagger. I want to say, man, I don't remember who the the official like head coach was, which is bad. I mean, but again, that that hockey mentality growing up, like you're just out there to do whatever it takes to win games, right? Like that's um, amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. So talk to us now. So you mentioned Slags. So Andy Slaggart, who's an assistant coach, or probably, I would imagine he's the associate head coach at, uh, at Notre Dame. He's been there forever. Mm-hmm. Huge part of the reason why they've been so successful. Uh, just an unbelievable recruiter. Uh, you're sitting here in your, your Irish jacket right there. So you're obviously proud, proud alum of Notre Dame. Um, talk to us. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about your time there. And, and uh, you know, at first a little bit of a macro overall, what your experience was like. And then I know you guys made the national championship game it was probably your junior year i'm guessing um and that uh, just seems like senior year okay so that just seemed like a really special team you know danny venard who's one of my best friends in the game uh was on that team so i was following it along the whole time um so overall experience at notre dame and then if you can uh, i'd love to dive into that that team that uh just absolutely overachieved and and uh and made the national championship yeah. game yeah i mean it's our freshman year, I want to say we had maybe five or six wins. Um, and, and we, I mean, we had a good roster. We had a good team. I don't think we were like built on that chemistry, right? I don't think our team really was in there to, to fight for each other, right? Um, by my junior year, and Jeff Jackson became the transition into my sophomore year. Um, we ended up, you know, having a decent sophomore year, but then my junior season, um, I want to say we had maybe five or six losses. So like that transition in just a short two years. And yes, it does come down to the kind of guys that you're around on some levels, but at the same time, like we had, um, we kind of built that culture where you knew you were going to stick up for your brother. Um, I like to think of it like, or call it. And I still like, I think from Tampa Bay is it's like a wolf pack mentality when one guy's, you know, getting, 
he's in front of the other team's net and the defenseman's punching him after the whistle. Uh, we had a rule, at least in Tampa, that we were going to um, 100%, everybody was going to go in, um, which trickled down to Syracuse where I was. So, you know, I felt like we had that wolf pack mentality, that brotherhood, where even when we got into our junior year, senior year, um, we just, we knew we were going to win games and we knew we were going to fight for each other. And again, we started recruiting some serious talent. I mean, we had, you know, Ryan Thang and Kevin Deeth who ended up coming in. Eric Condra again came to Notre Dame. And I mean, we just, we literally put, um, you know, put some, some serious games together and ended up all the way into the national championship my senior year. So I'm interested to know how that culture shifted and how that culture changed when, when Jeff came in as the head coach, because I'm, I'm really into that. I love that mentality that you talked about. We're going to stick up for each other and all five guys, even though maybe it wasn't a Notre Dame, but that's kind of like the mentality that you guys had. Like, I'm a big believer in that. Like, even if, one of your teammates gets cheap shotted and you could be going on the power play, but you have somebody that goes over and sticks up for them. And now it's a four on four instead of having a power play. I'm fine with that. I'm, 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 I'm fine definitely with that, fine with know? that. Too. So what, like, what were some of the things that maybe the coaching staff did when they took over to help foster that brotherhood wolf pack type mentality um, yeah. that, that allowed you guys to build that culture to be, you know, change the, change to have success just like that we um part of it was just building that new it was building a new culture we um we put a different expectation on ourselves as a team um you know obviously there's some other like just working out stuff that all applies to it um at the time going into my sophomore year we actually had two extra guys on the roster so two people from the freshman team into the sophomore season, two people that had scholarships, you know, maybe, maybe they're a walk-on, um, two people were going to be let go off of the entire roster. Right. So now you're sitting there with every single four mile run or whatever it was that we were doing at the time, there was just another level of emphasis. And I think Jeff Jackson actually came into Notre Dame thinking like, I'm going to break these guys down and I'm going to find out who those weak links are, but you know, string, uh, courtesy of our strength coach, um, T row. I mean, he, Tony Relinsky, he, uh, he really pushed the envelope with us, even through our freshman year to the point where we were, we were prepared, um, for the, basically the misery that we ended up getting put through our sophomore year. I mean, don't get me wrong, like Notre Dame, the lakes, they're beautiful, but when you're running them every other day, like I just wanted to jump into them. In the middle, you know what I mean? And just like, all right, I'm gone. Like I can't, but at the same time, you you're fighting for every, you know, inch that you get and um, you have to be willing to pay that extra price. So that was just a basically little things that built the culture of expectation. Um, we, you know, we just, again, we set that, that different level. And then at the same time, on ice um we set goals for ourselves as a team every single game that we wanted to get the first goal that we wouldn't give up a goal in the last two minutes of a period um and every time that we didn't achieve one of those goals we um we ended up you know having an extra skate in practice or something so you knew there was an expectation that we we wanted to achieve these things we wanted to uh to be successful um you know every single shift 
And then they, they also, they kept a, a list of primary chances that you generated. Um, you know, if you scored a goal, that'd be, you know, a primary opportunity. If you set it up, you were the secondary opportunity, but you know, they kept this kind of running plus minus as well. So you're, you were always kind of in check, but, um, I think it really does come, come down to the guys and what they're willing to do together uh, on the ice to, to pay the price. That's so true. And there's a couple, couple ways I want to go here. The first way is um, teams are built, not just at the rink in what you do on the ice. Teams are built in the weight room. Teams are, teams are built when you party together. Teams are built all the time. And we talked about that in our last podcast with Jen Baker, um, who's like a leadership freaking connoisseur. She was unreal. Mm -hmm. And it just, it, it just goes to show you, I mean, you talking about your strength coach and Vex, I'd like to get your thought on this, but a huge reason why we were successful at Cornell was because of our strength coach. And he adopted and had the same values that we had as a team in pushing it and accountability. And like, you wanted to run through a brick wall for, for him. And it's just so important. This is, I don't think people understand how important the support staff is to a hockey team. Mm -hmm. It's not just the, the coaches and the players, it's the trainers, it's the equipment managers. It's the, um, it's the, the strength coach. I mean, you look at Sidney Crosby, that goal that he had, what was it last week or two weeks ago where the equipment guy gives him the stick and he goes and scores the goal. And then immediately the entire bench goes nuts and Crosby points to him, you know? Um, I, I just think that's, it, it's such an important thing because a team is not just the people that are on the ice. There's, there's so much work that goes into it at every level, even at the youth levels, like the manager is really important. The parents are really important to a team success and everything. Um, so Vex being a strength coach, like in, in your experiences in the game and stuff, how, I, I just think it's really important to talk about how important it is all encompassing, you know? Yeah. Well, it's, it can be a make or break spot. And it's a lot of kids, parents used to come up to me and I used to train the younger players. Like, you're saying the same things I am, but like, why do they do it when you tell them to like eat your broccoli or whatever? And I think it's like hearing the same things from a different voice means a lot, especially to a team. So like you're hearing all these things about culture and family and sacrifice and work ethic from your coaches all the time. You don't get to be with the strength coaches nearly as much, but then you're in like that environment. It's a little bit more fun. It's a little bit less pressure because you're not having like the skill component really. And uh, you're getting those same messages and they're able to be in a little bit more fun way than if the coach is coming down on you or, you know, it's a little more business-like usually at the at practice at the rink. So when you can have those in the gym as well, I think it's, it can really boost the morale of the team. It can boost their they're bonding. You can do so many things where it's like competitions in the gym throughout the season, in season, out of season, things that can be uh, uh, beneficial from a strength training perspective, but also from a team bonding perspective. I mean, even at Notre Dame, like I remember we'd always have some kind of a finisher, like, you know, maybe it was a wall set, but at, at the same time, you had no idea when this was going to stop. Right. So you're sitting there with your, your brothers, basically all against the wall, you know, you're looking at every single person that's walking by and you're just in straight misery because you're passing these 45 pound plates back and forth. Basically, you have no idea when you're going to stop. Uh, and then it's almost like movie miracle. And you have a guy that starts singing the Notre Dame fight song just to hopefully get us out of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
and uh, and it, it actually did work at the time, but it didn't work the next time. I'll tell you, <laughs> tell you that for free. There's there are so many little things that you can do in the gym to kind of foster that team camaraderie. One of the things that we would do, you know, we would do ladder drills. If somebody messed up, you know, somebody overstepped or did something, they would have to finish that rep. They would have to go back and do it again. But another guy also had to go back and do it with them. So yeah. it was like kind of fostering that. And then in our um, conditioning test, um, so basically what happened is you, it would be like, you had to do 900 yard. I can't remember what it was. It was no, not nine, 1800 meter, I, whatever it was. It's, yeah. but we either way, big gym guy, eh, especially, <laughs> I spent, well, I passed out doing it with my little short stumpy legs. So I literally like spent the whole summer training for that test. So I could so I can pass it. And some of these guys with these big long gazelle legs you just do it in flying colors. But anyway, so it, it's cool. So like, if you don't pass it the first time, you got to go again and you have to do it again. Um, and you, typically there's a couple guys that don't finish for whatever reason, but it's, it's awesome because a lot of guys will still continue to run, run those sprints with those guys, you know, every time, even though they don't have to, they'll, they'll put in four reps. So they'll put in six reps. And if there's maybe two players that, that failed, at least six or seven players are going each rep just to make sure that that guy gets across. And I just think there's so many little things that you can do outside, you know, from, from a strength perspective that can foster that. And a strength coach has a lot to do with that for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. But I'm going to go back to something you just said, cause I put this tweet out and I had so many people DM me and text me about it. You just said something that drives me absolutely insane. You said I trained all summer for this test. I hate that. Think about like that and how many players think that way. <laughs> Training for an off ice test. I shouldn't. So it Max. wasn't. I know I exactly what you did. Same story, man. <laughs> no, but we, we all did it. No, we, I, yeah. we all did it. We all did it. And what were the tests? Bench press, hang clean, pull up, squats. Like, uh, yes, oh, training makes you better at hockey if done in the right way but everyone just gets so focused on the testing and the numbers and coaches used to also and guess what <laughs> happens after a month. Usually the guys winning the tests are on the fourth line meets and, and they're not the guys who are out there at the end of the game when it matters, they're not playing the most for the most part. Right. And so like, that is what that whole tweet and Instagram post was about. That stuff drives me nuts, but I I'm going to push back. Go ahead. Push, push back. Cause there are caveats to everything. You can't just encapsulate it in one. I second. don't think it's a caveat, man. A lot of the guys that did really well in our tests were our better players. You're the only team I've ever heard of that happening. The okay. only team I ever played on everyone. Like I won testing in Boston. Did I play for the Bruins? Did I play? And <laughs> did I have a 10 year career? No. Right. So you got a personal vendetta what, against it then. What, no, no, no. What I'm saying is I saw firsthand <laughs> how doing well on tests, don't translate to hockey, yeah. especially those type of tests. And you hear kids say all the time, well, I got to do this test at camp. So I got to do well at it. And I'm like, listen, you got to train to be a good hockey player. And we'll put those exercises in as part of your workouts to make you a better hockey player. But I will not train you to be a better tester. Cause I've seen yeah, it. It that doesn't is definitely matter. A point. It doesn't matter. Like yeah. it does, but it doesn't, you know? And so that just, that sentence drives me nuts. And I think from a strength coach perspective and from the hockey coach's perspective, we need to, to do a better job explaining why you test because the reason tests started is because NHL players used to come to shape. 
they used training camp to train that they didn't work out all summer. They didn't skate all summer. They went to training camp to get in shape and train. So then teams started, well, well, if we make testing, we make their salaries based on if they pass these tests, they're going to have to come in shape. So it was like kind of like a punishment almost. And so that's how it all evolved. And a lot of NHL teams are getting rid of testing now. A lot of, a lot of college teams are starting to get rid of them or they're doing tests that make sense on ice tests, things like that. I just want to say to the coaches, the strength coaches listening, players, like <clears throat> it shouldn't be like a punishment and it shouldn't be like, I got to do well on pull-ups. It should be like, let's see how many pull-ups you do. And hopefully, and the goal is that you're getting better every year, but it shouldn't be like, I got to do this many. And I got, Oh my God, I'm so, so many guys I played with were so nervous for testing and they spent the whole last month of training to be good at the tests and negated training to be a hockey player. And that's just yeah. so ass backwards. And, it, and if you're getting yourself caught up too, as a player, like I have to compete with so-and-so, right? Like if somebody's just an absolute freak at doing chin-ups and they're busting out 30 because their body weight's nothing, right? 35. Like, <laughs> right? And they, they may not be holding up in the corners. They might not be holding up in front of the net because, you know, they're not skilled enough to be able to fill that role. But at the same time, you're dead on. I think that this, like the, the if there is testing, it needs to be more geared towards what's actually going to be successful towards the ice, right? Like how many chin-ups you do, how many pull-ups, you know, how fast you can run the mile. It's not going to correlate to on ice success. So you're, I 100% agree with you on that. Well, I like um, what you said there too, is, is it, it kind of makes you compete with other guys. And I love competition. Everything I do is in competition, but I think when, when it's like, focusing on this, you know, end of summer, beginning of off season, I think it needs to be more of a competition with yourself. All right, right. Evan, last year, you know, your body fat, you came in at this, you had this many points in the middle of the season. It seemed like you, maybe you broke down when we retested you in the, in the second half of the season, all your strength numbers went down. So our goal this year is going to have your strength numbers stay up the whole year. All right. You did a great job. You beat your pull-ups last year by one. And then it's not like, but it helps the player versus like, you know, like, Oh, you better do this. And that, that doesn't help any athlete make them a better athlete. Yeah. And when you're evaluating it, evaluate the, the progress evaluate. Like if you have a kid that comes in and does 10 pull-ups in their freshman year, and then they leave as a senior and they're doing 11, it's like, okay, how hard did you really work <laughs> at, at getting stronger Right. versus, you know, versus the, you know, so you'd rather take a guy that does 10, and then when they leave, they're doing 25 versus the guy that's doing 30 and then does 30 at after four years, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so. it's, it's also specialized too, right? Like the guy that's, you know, 225 pounds, he's obviously going to be cranking out more bench press than the guy that's a buck 80, you know, five feet, seven. I don't know. Pull-ups were my pull-ups were my saving grace in all the strength tests. That was the only one I tested like in the top half of my team. Yeah. It's like the mighty ducks, man. You got like the guy that freaking he's fast, but he doesn't know how to stop. You got the guy that, you know, he's got sick hands, but you know, he has absolutely what is no coordination or put it in Luis. Luis Mendoza. But that's exactly right. right, Tope. You know, over a hundred points in the ECAC where you guys play like six games a season. And you had over a hundred points at five, four, like, and you were probably like one of the last guys on the team at looking at all of their testing numbers off ice, but like you're one of the best players. You become the captain. That That's where like, there's such a disconnect where I feel like this, this whole world looks at it kind of like with the wrong lens, I think. And I'm, 
sorry for hijacking a bunch of this, but that that sentence drives me insane. Glad to trigger you, Vex. Trigger, thank <laughs> you. Oh, yeah. And yes, I, I was, in fact, very much not towards the top in many of our tests. So <laughs> that was a sore Except spot on, for a long hey, time. Man, it points on the ice. That's all that matters. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, Ranks, we got to talk about the year that we played together down in, uh, in Rio Grande and got the chance to play for Chris Brooks, who actually was Vex's coach at Western. So just a small little hockey world type thing. Um, I haven't, that was a fun year. Like that was a fun year. And that was one of those years where we overachieved because of how much we loved each other as a group. Like we really had an awesome group of guys. Right. So we had so much fun just as such. And I just think people, sometimes people take hockey a little bit too seriously. And you got to remember that hockey is fun and hockey is about bonds and relationships. And that's the stuff that you remember. And like, I still keep in touch like Maddie Burns, Maddie Burns just last week (laughs) sent me a new single that he wrote that he used to be like, he used to strum the guitar as we were playing with each other. And he's still like trying to freaking grind it and and make it in music, you know? So just talk about that year, how much fun we had. and, And I think we overachieved because of that. Seriously, like that was questionably one of the best years, like fun years of hockey I've ever played. And I don't, were you there at the beginning of the year? Like day one? No, I wasn't. I got traded there halfway through the year. So when, when we first got down there, this is Chris Brooks's first time, you know, professional coach. And, you know, we had these, basically we had some really good veterans that were either on the team the year before or done really well in the league. And, you know, we signed them and they kind of did eat up because you only have three lines in the East Coast League, the CHL. So like they do eat up a lot of minutes. Um, And early on, dude, I want to say you'd walk into the locker room and it was like death, Metallica. And if you touch the radio as a rookie, like it was over, right? Like Volterra or some guy was going to rip my head off, right? And I just remember like as the season progressed and we just, you know, I feel like we brought in all of these young guys. Cause I, I want to say we had, you know, um, like, Oh my gosh, 14 rookies. We were on one, on one roster, yeah. like all from like CCHA or just fresh out of college hockey. Cause Chris Brooks recruited it that way. But I mean, you're right. Like I still keep in touch with Wiley Rogers to this day. You know, when I was up in Alaska, like he's the first guy that I'm reaching out to, to, try and bump into right so it's uh oh my gosh plus you're you're down there it's always warm um you know I remember like us trying to go to like South Padre Island during like spring break and make it back for practice right like we're just young guys (laughs) trying to have some fun playing hockey man yeah that was uh that was a fun year to say the least and uh yeah going out and playing when it's 70 degrees in, in December that's uh that's nice that's definitely nice for sure. Um, all right. So moving on. So that was your first year of pro hockey after being out of Notre Dame. And then you embarked on just this incredible journey playing pro hockey. And like, I think the biggest question I have for you is you played at a bunch of different levels, over 200 games in the AHL, over 200 games in the East coast league. You know, I know that there's a lot of players that, that are playing college hockey or playing junior hockey that have aspirations of playing at the highest level, you know, going back, going through all the ups and downs, because that kind of lifestyle is not easy, not necessarily knowing where you're going to play next year, always trying to get to the next level, working hard all the time, being evaluated all the time. If you can go back to your younger self, 
in your first couple of years of pro and give yourself some advice on how to navigate that journey. Now that you're out of it a couple of years and you've had this great success playing at that level, what, what kind of advice would you give your younger self? Yeah. I mean, it's a tough question because when I look back, like, like my, my, my uh, numbers in college, they weren't like crazy impressive. Right. Um, you know, I knew before going into college playing for team USA, you know, I think I was ranked 13th overall on central scouting at Christmas, um, in junior. So ended up moving into, you know, college, but I was still an undrafted player. Right. So when you're going into pro and you've kind of had that, you know, I'm not going to say that it was like a mediocre college career because we had a lot of success, um, even on an individual level. I think I did, you know, decent as far as where our team was as a, as a group, but just moving into pro, I knew that I needed to kind of build, you know, some steam as that reputation too. Cause I mean, quite frankly, like I almost had to quit numerous times just because, I mean, you are, you know, almost grossly underpaid a little bit, right. When you're playing in the minor leagues on some level where, you know, it's tough to sit there and say, like, I'm going to, you know, grind through this and, and hope there's some silver lining at the very end. And at the same time, we love hockey, right? Like we're going to play for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches if, if that's all that is offered to do it. Right. Like, um, and I don't know if you guys always felt the same way, but I was always willing to, uh, to do that and just pay the price at whatever level it was. Um, and just kind of moving into the professional, uh, world. I mean, it was, you know, I took it fun for a while. Right. But there was definitely a level of transition when you reach the American hockey league, that expectation is up here, you know, East coast, you can kind of fly by the seat of your pants. It's a lot more fun. You're getting a lot more ice time because there is only three lines. Um, and it's, you know, it's just fun hockey. You're always with the guys. It's always, you know, you're, you're just always a unit together, but when you get into the American league and there's four lines and three of those lines are top draft picks to the organization over the years, or it's some NHL player that's now, you know, a captain that's trying to mentor the young group and get everybody on the same page. And then at the same time, you have coaches that are completely like diving into every single play. Um, I remember playing for the Rochester Americans um, and we did play there for three years, but I remember them having, you know, like every single shift that you had just played from the, that game you'd walk under the bus, you'd have an iPad and you could literally go through every single play that you did the whole game. If you wanted to just to kind of see different plays. Um, and it really does help you as an individual player kind of elevate yourself to that next level. Plus at the same time, you know, you're technically one step away from the NHL, right? And every single guy that you're playing with wants to be there. Like there's not a single guy in the American league. That's like, I would rather be in the A than the NHL. Right. Like, Every single guy is fighting tooth and nail, every single shift. Um, and at the same time, if you don't leave it all on the ice, every single shift, somebody else is willing to do that. And you don't find yourself getting as much ice as you would like. Right. Um, so I do think that there is a level um, transition that you need to make as a player um, that you need to be willing to commit to paying the price Um every single second, it's a job. And it, that's really what the transition, it became a job that you loved, you wanted to do it desperately. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know if you guys felt the exact same way, but 
it uh it was definitely something for me that I decided you have to take this 100% serious no question if this is what you want to do for the rest of your life and um you know I I can't, I can't look back in my career and say I would have changed a single thing that's awesome it's it's just been a blast the whole way through it that's awesome. Well, kind of going along with that, Vax, I remember hearing you speak. I don't, I can't remember if it was to a group or a bunch of kids or something. And you basically told them when you were playing at that level in the American Hockey League, it, it is, you treated it like a nine to five. You, you practice at 10 and that was the expectation, but you treated it like a nine to five job where my job from 8 a.m. To, to four or 8 a.m. To, to five o'clock, whether it was stretching, whether it was, it, there's just so many things you can do to, to be, watching video, whatever it was, you know, and I th- like just hearing ranks talk about that, like talk about your experience as you went through some of those levels too. Yeah. I mean, it's, you're one step away from the best league in the world. You're one call away from the best league in the world. You have to prepare as such. And I mean, it's, it's so intense. Like when, when you look around the room and half the guys in the room have a wife and kids, you know, you're coming out of college or you're young pro, you're like, Whoa, like, this is real. Like that's how that guy's feeding his daughters. And it's like, Whoa, this is serious. And there's guys who've been playing for 10 years and have million, million dollars, millions of dollars in the bank. They've been up and down or whatever. And it's just like, Whoa, like this is real. Like this is, this is a job. And it's also like, if you're intelligent, you realize this doesn't last forever. And you see how many guys every year stop playing and take that Jersey off for the last time. And they know they're done. So it's like, I need to do everything I can so that I can play as long as I can or get to where my goals are or whatever. And it's, you know, it's, that's why it's barely anyone plays pro hockey. It's very intense. It's super hard and it's extremely competitive. Who were some of your guys's mentors in the room and at the AHL level? Cause I love hearing about the guys that had the NHL careers that are kind of back to mentor. They just do things the right way all the time. Just great human beings type people. Um, who were some of those guys for you guys ranks? Did you have any of those guys that sticks out in Rochester? Yeah. I mean, we always had some like really amazing leaders. Um, I like Rochester. I would say like Mark Volks was just, he was just a character guy, um, that he was like me. He was an East coast guy that worked his way into the American league, had a really successful career, signed, uh, re-signed his deals. And uh, he's been in the Dell and he's, you know, had a really successful uh, career over there. Um, But I mean, even when I look into some of the other rosters, I mean, there's, there's obviously been NHL guys that came down. The one thing that you kind of notice though, too, is the NHL players that have been up, but cleared waivers and are down, they might be stuck. And I don't know if people truly understand waivers on, on the podcast or whatnot, but basically if somebody gets sent down from the NHL to the American league, you have one day, where anyone in the rest of the league can claim you off of waivers. And basically they would pick you up for half of the salary that the other team was paying. Um, so long story short, you'd get these guys down that might be trapped a little bit because they have to clear waivers on the way back. Right. So you, I remember we had a defenseman, um, you know, and, and I'm sorry, I got away from the mentors a little bit, but like you'd also have those guys that not necessarily were mentors, but, weren't necessarily thrilled that they were down in the American league. Right. Yeah. yeah. And grinding through, but, you know, still making the millions of dollars that they were, you know, contracted to in the A. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying that every single NHL player that came down was like that. Cause there were people that would come back from the NHL, like Taylor Lear um, when he was called up. And I want to say he was even a rookie at his time. 
but when he came back, like it, he was scoring like a hat trick every single game, right? Like he was uh, just a guy that you knew was going to step up to the plate, even being sent down. And then, um, you know, some of the, like Angelitas was just a great captain, Mike Angelitas over in Syracuse. He really helped build like a team camaraderie. And I think Eric Nielsen, I don't know if you guys have ever played with him, but he's probably, I mean, he was Sidney Crosby's, you know, line mate growing up. Um, and, uh, you know, he's kind of an enforcer into the AHL, you know, fighting, fighting for his teammates, for his brothers. And, uh, you know, he made a living doing that. And I would say he is one of those guys that every time you'd walk into the room, you know, he would bring you up. You know what I mean? Like he just, he was, he brought that environment with him where you just, you wanted to go to bat for him. Right. I remember him getting into a, you know, kind of a little scrum at the end of, at the end of a game that we were losing and nobody else kind of went into that pile that he was in. Um, and I remember him coming off the ice and he was just completely devastated that nobody else. And, and mind you, we had a bunch of call-ups at the time. So like, it wasn't really like our team, uh, but nobody went in to, to stick up for him. Right. And just seeing how devastated he was to not have his brothers there with him was like, it said it all and why you'd want to fight for a guy like that. Why you'd want to be out there with a guy like that every single game. And for all the kids that are out there listening to that, if you're not one of those guys going into the scrum and you have your GM at that game watching, Ooh boy, you're in big trouble. <laughs> you're I remember Kucherov like stepping up, trying to fight guys with the Mestikov. And you're like, these two, you know, these little guys that are putting up four goals every single game. And you're like, you're seeing these guys going toe to toe with some of the biggest guys in the league. You know, they're not going to fight, but like at the same time, they're in the scrum with you. It says a lot about your roster. Right. There's those intangible things about hockey is what makes me miss it the most, honestly. Like just those little things inside a game that only hockey players know from being in the heat of the battle and then going back into the locker room after some of those little things happen and, you know, either being pissed off at a teammate for not stepping up or being just so excited because I mean, there's nothing better as a teammate if you get a cheap shot and then one of your buddies goes over and fights the guy like that's like, there's not much of a better feeling or if you stick up for another one of your teammates and then you go into the locker room during intermission and all the boys give you a hand or freaking say way to go or I mean, whatever it is like those little things. And we've talked a lot about that stuff. Like what kind of makes a successful team, those little intangible things are just so incredibly important and ranks to your point to kind of tie it all together. Like if you're not getting along as a group away from the ice, I don't know. I don't know if that's those intangible things happen as much. And so building that culture and that camaraderie away from what you're doing in between the boards, I just, it's one of the most important things that you can do as, as a group. I mean, there's definitely winning cultures and there's losing cultures and, you know, Quite frankly, having played for, oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell you how many teams I played for professionally. I should probably know that. Um, like I've been on both. I've, I've seen exactly how it works with a team that's built together. And we just knew going into every one of those games, we were going to win. And we looked forward to winning because everybody, we'd be dancing after the game and, the, you know, the... <laughs> the locker would be a, be a blast. Lead the charge just like Vex was on his team. Oh <laughs> man, I'd be jumping in there with Neeler and we'd be having a freaking blast. But 
but then you have the other team where you're out on the road and certain guys are going to eat this way and the other half of the team is going to eat this way. And then the goalies are like eating their way. And it's like, there's no, you know, and it's hard to build that because you can get some players in your team that, you know, just have that mentality that like, well, I'm going to isolate myself as superior so that I'll be the one that gets called up or, and I don't know if that's the mentality um, truly behind it, but I mean, there are cancers on teams too, that just, you know, quite frankly, you don't go far on your own. You just don't. The teams that win, the teams that see success, the teams that win Calder Cups in the AHL, those are the players that end up in the NHL. It just, that's how it works. And if, uh, if you, you know, can build that culture as a coach, really get the guys to buy in. I don't care if it's taking people to paintball or whatever it might be just to, you know, take your minds off hockey or, you know, bring the fun, bring the environment every single day, you know, have motivation um, to, to want to be there. It's, it's change. It changes everything. Well, I think everything. Yeah. And I think you bring up a good point too. We've had you on here for quite some time. So, but I, I love Sorry. this. I, no, no, I love this subject. And, and I think it goes for, you, know, you talk about everybody kind of doing things together. It doesn't just go for like those cancers, like the cancers need to listen to this and understand that what you're doing is not right. But also I think on a lot of teams, and I think this happens a lot at the college level, but definitely happens at the pro level as well. You have guys who are just driven and focused and will do everything they can to make it, which is a great thing but sometimes those players isolate themselves where they're not going out to eat with the guys because they're so serious uh, you know we had kids that we coached at cornell it was like hey you don't have to drink at the party that you don't have to drink but you got to go like you have to be there you have to be with your team so i think there for other kids that are listening that are that are driven you're right i think you hit a nail on the head you can't do it by yourself so if you don't have the respect of your teammates i don't care how committed you are like it's not going to work out for you. So I think that it, it kind of goes both ways. And I'm sure you guys have played with people, both the, the cancers that ruin a room, but also the ultimately driven kids who I don't want to say they think they're better because it's not really like that, but you have to be a part of the team. You have to be one of the boys or, or one of the girls, if you're on a women's team and you have to bond, it just, it's so important as well intentions as it could be. hundred yeah. percent. That's it. I agree. Man. I, you said it all. Like it's a great statement. Oh, I like it. Well, ranks, this was awesome, man. Thanks for taking some time to, uh, to, to, to shoot the breeze and, and talk some puck with us here today. It was a lot of fun playing with you the one year we had in Rio. And I know you got some awesome things going on right now. Um, but we appreciate the, the time that you spent here with us and uh, I'm sure we'll be talking again at some point soon. Sounds good. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Toe. Thanks, Pete.